Good morning again and welcome to Marysville 3CU Church. We're glad to have you with us. We're excited today as we uh, have an annual celebration. Uh, just to remember um, how we help each other. It's kind of like an appreciate sun, Appreciation Sunday and an anniversary for us in our location. So we're excited today about that. I'm excited about the message today. And I invite you to turn into your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John. This is not the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You go a little bit farther, and you will find three small books. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And that's where we're going to have our reading this morning. We're going to start the concept. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 15, chapter 2, it doesn't have 15, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then we'll look at each of the verses specifically, and we'll do uh, expound on some other scriptures as well. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We want to look at each of those passages and the concepts, and then we'll uh, draw from those, and that will build into some other points of the message. So if you look at 1 John 2.15, you find there this contrasting of do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the world versus the love of the Father. The word that's there, as we've uh, talked about in the past, is love. But in the Greek, there's various words for love. And in this particular, uh, and in the Greek, we mean the Koine Greek. It's the common man's Greek. It's, it's not the Greek that you would find today. I mean, naturally, they're, they're linked. And so when we talk about Greek, just a little bit of a side, think about it. At that time, it was the trade language. So you know how in the world today, most people speak English. It might not be their native tongues, but if they're doing business, they're going to be speaking in English. In this time period, if you were going from country to country and you were going to have an interaction, the fallback language was, was going to be in Greek, Greek. So it's interesting at this time, Greek that has additional nuances to it, initial depth to it. So we say, oh, I love you. Well, have you heard people say, I love you? And you're like, they don't even know me. And they say they love me. What do they mean by that? Although, or uh, I've seen them at uh, different events or something. Oh, I just loved your performance. And you're like, did you even see their performance? It just, it, it, we just kind of throw it around. And, uh, you know, you say you love your wife. Well, that's a little bit different than I love my brother, right? And so we just have these different words. But in the Greek, it has different depths of meanings. And so you have agape, you have phileo, which is brotherly love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Um, you have eteros, you have, you know, um, terms like that. And we get some other understanding. And the Greek has other depths, and we're not going to go into that at this time. But here the Greek word is agape, 
And agape, we talk about this higher love, but agape is a, a positional kind of love. It's a premier love. And maybe you remember from Scripture in the book of Revelation, it talks about having lost their first love. It can mean that we basically moved God out of first position into some other position. And in this scripture, as we read it, it says, Do not love agape love, the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you think of this agape love as a positional love, it's the primary love. It's the who you put first kind of love. You can imagine if you put the world first, how can you be put God first? So there's this contrast. You can't put the world first and put God first at the same time. And when we talk about the world, we mean the things of the world. And as we continue into the things of the world, the things that are around us, we get a little bit more concepts, uh, a little depth of understanding. In verse 16, it says, For that is in the world the lust, excuse me, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The things that you have, the things you lust after. Now, lust is not just what it has become in the vernacular of the day. You can't think of it as just as you think of lust and you think of something sexual. This is lust as you really, really want it. It could apply to fleshly things like that, but it's of the physical, the lust of the flesh, the things that I have, the things about me, the things that I have. And you think about, or maybe it's the things that I want. And that's why it seems that the scripture saying is the lust of the flesh is the things that I have, Versus the lust of the eyes, the things that I see, the things that I want to have. It's that coveting, as it were, but it's things maybe of others, but it could just be the things I see. Oh, I like that. I want that. The lust is this inordinate desire. I really want that. I really want to hold on to what I have. That's mine. And I really want to get some more like what I have. Or maybe I want something different what I have, but I want to have that and I want this. One boat's not enough. I need five boats. One house isn't enough. I need five houses. But it can get to something even simpler. That I want this, you know, it's not just that I have a Barbie doll or a car or a that's in the tour realm or I've got a football or I've got whatever. I want multiples of it. And you're never satisfied. But if, can you see that if the control of what I have and the desire towards it and the primacy of that love or the primacy of acquiring that that I don't have because I really, really want it, that that can move in that primary love position 
because I have such a strong desire to it that God becomes secondary. So if God becomes secondary, how can he be first? If all this other is before God, and so when you go through your decision matrix of how you're going to spend your day, what you're going to do today, or what you're going to do next week, or what you're going to do next Saturday, and you go through this, and then you get done with all the things you want to do, all the things you want to take care of, all the things you want to acquire, and you get done with all you want to do, and it's like, oh, well, there is God. And you see how things can kind of get inverted. And then we come into the pride of life. The pride of life, it's in who I have become. This sort of arrogance. I have a bunch of stuff, and my desire is to maintain my stuff, and this is my stuff, and, and look how much stuff it has. And look at, at how I have gone to this place in my stature and, and what's going on, and, and, oh, there's some more stuff that I would like to have. And that's where your desire, that's where the primacy of your focus is, that preferential love. You find in verse 17, and the world is passing away. Talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So now we find another contrast. The contrast of the world that is passing away, the desires after the things of this world that are passing away, and that's passing away. And you talk about the pride of life, but when God comes, when Jesus comes again, or after you die and you look at eternity, all those things that you've lusted after that are yours or lusted after that you want or look at what I have become when you stand before God it's gone it's not there and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever that relationship with God if you talk about networking in today's vernacular or phrasing that you network with people, it's not what you know, but who you know. Well, I think if I wanted a tight relationship, if that's your mentality, you want to have a tight relationship with someone in power, someone in the know, someone that can make a difference, I think your person is God. That's who you should be networking with. It reminds us of uh, scripture then because we think about this, the stuff you own, the stuff you want, or maybe it's your career or your family identity, and that's all your pride is. That stuff decays, is lost, is stolen, or burns in a fire. And there will always be more stuff out there, but it's also just stuff that is destroyed and it won't satisfy but we find a scripture then in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. 
Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where lie, uh, thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we don't want this primary position of love to be of this world. We want it to be of God. So let's build on this a little bit and move to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 12, 13 and 14, and then that, and then continue that thought into Hebrews 6, 1, 2, and 3. So let's start with Hebrews 5, 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So just pick up on that. He's not talking to someone that just became a Christian. They maybe have been a Christian for a while. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone to teach you again. You've learned it before. The first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You think about this if a baby... If someone is a baby, you don't give them a steak. They can't eat it. They can't consume it. They need softer food. They need milk. And what it's saying is, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need to be. You need someone to teach you again. The principles, the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. It's kind of like he's saying you're a bunch of babies. You've been told this before. Can, those, those that are parents, or I mean, if you're children, you can kind of get this. How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> We've gone over this before. Maybe you've had a coworker, you've been in a, in a boss situation or something, and you're like, listen, we had this talk. <laughs> I'm not going to have this talk again. That works in a parent's uh, talk too, right? <laughs> or, I told you this once. I'm not going to tell you again. But God is gracious to us. We're having this conversation. You should be making some progress in your Christian walk. And I shouldn't have to teach you again. Kind of like if you go, uh, you go home for uh, summer break after school and you come back and they're like, don't you remember we already covered these multiplication tables? I've got to teach you how to do this again. They talk about losing ground. If you're not focused on it, you can lose ground. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If we're not exercising, if you think about that in the sense 
your muscles will atrophy. If you're not moving around and you're already sitting down, your muscles will atrophy. I'm thinking of a movie and I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's got the little robot guy and he's, he does the garbage compactor. What is his name? Wally. 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 One of our kids in the congregation was able to share that with us. But uh, no, <laughs> it's okay. Wally. Wally. Maybe you're not familiar with the movie, so th this will be this will be uh, spoiler alert. It's basically this a little robot guy that cleans up the earth. The earth has destroyed, been destroyed through whatever waste, whatever thing you want to go through. And so they've built this ship that goes off into space to sustain them through the years until they're able to go back to Earth that has now, um, can grow green life, uh, grow life again, or can have plants again. And, and they sent out a probe to test on that. In the meantime, they're out on this automated ship where they don't have to plant things. They don't have to harvest things. They don't have to manufacture things. Everything's harvested for them, manufactured for them. The, the weather is perfect for them. The food comes to them. And so they basically are rolling around on these hover carts and everything comes to them. They don't even walk. And their bodies look like someone that's never exercised. They don't, can't even roll out off of these carts hardly at all because it's all been provided and that's what happens when we don't exercise when we don't look into the scripture we don't uh, inquire of God what we would like to do you ever have someone that you used to know maybe before and now you're having trouble communicating with them because you just lost track of the little nuances of their voice or their inflections and you can't tell that, uh, oh, yeah, that I forgot. I wish I would have remembered. When their eyebrow goes up a little bit, that means they're, I'm upsetting them. I shouldn't have done that. Or those body language things. We lose touch of those things. And if we're not talking and communing with God and we're trying our faith, you ever been driving along and had God say, you feel like God's impressing you to turn at the next road? That might sound crazy to you. But I think God sometimes gives us the ability to learn how to listen to him by testing us right, we see this in Scripture, with some smaller things. And he helps with the smaller things. And then when the big things come along, we know how to hear him. We know what his voice sounds like. We know that he's trying to talk to us. But if we don't trust, well, I only pray on the big things. Well, small things turn into big things when you don't trust God with the smaller decisions. Everyone went back and said, boy, I wish I would have prayed to God about that before I made that decision, because that one was a stupid decision. See, if we're in this practice with him, and we learn when he's trying to tell us things, and he's trying to nudge us, and he's trying to see just how close we're listening. He shouldn't always have to knock us down with a bowl of light like he did Paul to wake us up. It should be listening. So who's not the primary place? Are you maturing from where you were? Are you moving forward? 
Let's continue. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying of an, on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And thus we will do if God permits. Did you see that in there? Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from good works and toward faith toward God. Let's talk about some deeper things. Let's talk about perfection. Oh, perfection. Some of your Bibles might use the word maturity. I was talking to someone that's much, 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 much more knowledgeable than, than I in Greek. I took some classes, have some awareness, but they're knowledgeable. And, it, and they say when that word maturity, when you leave it just as maturity, it's not quite strong enough from the way that the, that Greek word implies. But this word perfection, you run into people from time to time to say perfection, perfection. You know, and they'll talk about how perfection's not possible in this lifetime. There's a couple problems with that. One, if, if we understand, and this Greek scholar and others that understand the place when perfection is used in the Bible, if it's not possible in this life, then why did God tell us to move on towards perfection? Well, let's make it maturity. That's, that's a little word we can, we can handle, we can swallow that. Well, it's, you're softening it. You're softening us. We don't want to regress and become like babies again. We need to be exercising it. But it's telling us to move on to perfection. Move from the elementary to something more deep. And that something more deep would seem to be that God is primary. It's not that I just want forgiveness of my sins and I know that I've been a sinner. But I want to move God to provide into the primary place. And I want to leave these elementary principles move forward with God and it says move towards perfection now how do you do something like that in 1st John 1 1st John 1 5 through 6 passage you might remember this is the measure which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness of all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses his son. Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to walk in the light that God has shed upon our path. Not returning back, not having to get retaught, but as God shines light on our path, as a child is growing, we expect more of them. We expect more of them. Just to, as a note, we've covered this before, I believe, but maybe you may not recall or maybe you weren't, didn't get to hear it. In James chapter 4, 1 through 17, we're jumping around a little bit more than normal, but these things tie together and on concepts that are difficult sometimes, they might 
be difficult, especially at first hearing. We use scripture to help us understand. In James 4, 17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's the definition of sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let's, let's unwrap that a little bit. As God shines light on my path, I better understand. I have this light. I need to walk in the light that he's provided. I have that understanding. If we think about it as a child, and as a child is growing up, and we have some younger ones here, when you were two years old and you spilt your milk, you probably didn't get as much as trouble now that you're 12 or 15 or 16 or whatever you are. If you spill your milk, you're probably going to get in trouble. Because you know better. A baby sitting in their high chair, they pick up their sippy cup, and it's got some milk in it, and they'll do this. Splatter milk in different places. And you might correct them and say, no, no, don't do that. They're not being insubordinate. They're not going against your authority. They just don't know any better. doesn't mean that you don't correct them. But if they're 12, hopefully they're not sitting in the high chair anymore. But if they're 12 and they're sitting at the dining room table and they've got their cup of milk and maybe, maybe there's two girls in your family and they're having a game and they think it's funny and they take their cup and they start bouncing it up and down and watching the milk jump and then something spills, I, my guess is they're in trouble because they knew better. One knew better, the other one didn't knew better. The one you instruct and you counsel and you encourage and you teach, and the other one you hold accountable. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to it is sin. When you know better, that's when it's sin. If I'm walking in the light and I don't know better yet, because I'm immature, I haven't grown up yet, I'm not accountable for that I don't know. I'm accountable for what I do know. That's why we believe that babies, when they die, before they reach that age of understanding, they go to heaven. They're not accountable for that. There's other scriptures we can talk about that, but we're trying to address this thing. If you understand what sin is, not what people tell you sin is, but the Bible tells us, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, he, to him it is sin. We hear this word, if you've been around people, talk about missing the mark. And they're basically comparing and saying, listen, since you're not just like Jesus, you're sinning every day. In word, thought, or deed. You're sinning somehow. But scripture says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God holds us accountable where we are in our walk. God holds you accountable whether you're at 2 or at your 12. But if you're at 12 acting like a 2-year-old, he's going to have and call you to account. You need to grow up. You need to stop being a baby. You need to move forward with God. You need to, if you know to do good, if you know that you're supposed to put God in first place and you understand that, he wants you to put him in first place. And once he, he is in first place, I want you to walk away with this understanding 
that I can be in the center of God's will, and that's a good thing. And one of the points, first points to get in the center of God's will is to say, God, you are number one, and with God is number one, then I can hear him a lot clearer because we get this little confusing thing. You see on TV, you have the good, the good you is a little angel, and the bad you looks like a little devil. And they're having a conversation, right? The good you is telling you one thing, and the bad you is telling you something else. Well, you might have the thing that it's God on one shoulder and it's you on the other shoulder. And you're debating whether you want to do it or not. What I'm suggesting to you, when you move yourself off of that, dis- that part where you're seeking God's desires and stuff, that's when he matures you. That's when you can understand the light. That's when you can walk better in the light. And then at that point, you're all that God wants you to be at that point. It's Christian perfection. Be ye perfect. We're called to holiness. We hear that scripture, love the Lord thy God with all, and then thy neighbor as yourself. When we get in that place where we love the Lord with all, and we're walking in the light, we're walking, as I understand it, in a place of Christian perfection. It's not that we have arrived. It's not that we're still not growing. It's not that he's still not correcting you and say, you shouldn't have done it that way. Oh, you're right. Now that I think of it, I probably should have done that better. The Lord makes it into a teachable moment. And we take the teaching and move on. But we don't have to live in this mode that every time I'm taught, can you imagine if, you, if you're in third grade or fourth grade, wherever they're teaching it, and they ask you what two times two is, and you said three, and they say, you sinner, you missed it. That's wrong. It's like, well, you never told me the right answer. But if it's three times three is nine, and you know it's nine, and you learned that, and you're in high school now, you, you get checked wrong. Because you know what three times three is. It's not teachable. It's insubordination. You knew better. That's what we were held accountable before. That's what sin is. You don't have to live in this defeated life that I sin and word, thought, or deed in every, every day. So why try? And God loves me anyhow. And so I'm just going to sit back and take it for the ride. That's not walking in all the light that God has for you. It makes it an excuse that, well, I'm not feeling good today, so I'll get back around to God, but it's okay. I'm sending in worth out or deed anyhow every day. What light is God shining on your path? The first thing is you need to have him in primary. He's got to have your primary love. Not the lust and desires of this world. Not the, the arrogance of your position. But you need to walk in the light. I want to read to you as we close. I will spare you from singing a cappella from this song. There's a song in the hymnals that's called Launch Out. Launch Out. And for those in the congregation, it's on page 315. So I would ask that you'd open it up and follow along with me. And I want to think about you. Some of you like to go to the beach. I know some of you for sure like to go to the beach. I don't necessarily like to go to the beach. It's okay. 
but some of you would live at the beach, I believe, all the time. And so I wonder, do you relate to this story? What do you do at the beach? You, you sit on the beach, and then at some point you go out. Now, some of you might like to go out in a boat. But you go out, and, and you go out into the water. And when you first go out into the water, what, you, what do you get? you get? You get kind of beat up as the waves are throwing you until you get out there a little deeper, and you can float on the waves, right? What's the other thing sometimes, depending on what beach and where you're going at? There's the foamy stuff and the slimy stuff and the stick stuff up around the shore. Is that right? If you go to the wrong beach and the, it's blowing all that stuff in, it's all right there. Now, if you could get past that, that's where the good water's at, right? So where the good water at, and it's a little bit smoother. So with that context, listen to the words of the song. It's called Launch Out. The mercy of God is an open is an ocean divine, a boundless and fathomless flood. Launch out in the deep, cut away the shoreline, and be lost in the fullness of God. That means it's like being at the dock, and you're having your boat set at the dock, and the waves are coming in, and you're just getting beat into the dock. Launch out into the deep, oh, let the shoreline go. Launch out, launch out in the ocean divine, out where the full times flow. Verse 2, but many, alas, only stand on the shore and gaze on the ocean so wide. They never have ventured its steps to explore or to launch on the fathomless tide. Then it repeats the chorus. Verse 3, and others, they just venture away from the land and linger so near to the shore that the surf and the slime that beat over the strand dash over them in floods evermore. Launch out into the deep. Oh, let the shoreline go. Launch out, launch out in the ocean divine. Oh, where the full tides flow. Oh, let us launch out on this ocean so broad where floods of salvation overflow. Oh, let us be lost in the mercy of God till the depths of his fullness we know. Launch out into the deep. Oh, let the shoreline go. Launch out, launch out in the ocean divine. Oh, where the full tides flow. You want to get out into the good water. You're fighting against allowing God control, and it's beating you up. You're making choices that cause you more difficulty. You're trying to hold on to that thing when you just would let go. Get out in that smoother water, maybe. Because the ocean waves break as they come towards the shore, right? You need to launch out into the deep and allow God to buoy you. You know, you want to get out there and you want to get up on your toes and kind of kind of touch and have a little bit of control. You just need to let it go. Move forward in your faith. Don't stay stagnant and slip back. Move forward. Put God in the primary place and walk in all the light he has for you. Let us be standing together. Father God, we are confident that there are people in different places in their walk with you that will be hearing this message and have heard this message this morning. Some may not be a Christian. They might not have to come into the place that they've asked you to come in and save them. We pray for them that they would accept you and ask you in their life. But the message today was primarily to those that 
have a saving faith, but Lord, they haven't been moving forward. Or maybe you've been nudging them forward and at the point that they need to put you in first place, that you need to be in the primary decision place. They need to walk in all the light you're shedding upon their life. They need to walk in the center of your will. And you call us, the Lord, to walk deeper. Help them, the Lord, to move from the shoreline, to let go of this world and cling on to you so that they can enjoy the ocean so broad. They just got to let go and let God, as some say. And when we let God, that means that God's going to train us and God's going to teach us. Help us to make ourselves teachable and desire that teaching and not be fighting and pulling against it. Bless us now, we pray. Bless those that hear this message, that they would find a place and respond to your calling upon their heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and our hearts.